What a wonderful day. And what's most amazing is that God's in the house this morning. And some of you can feel and sense his presence. God is here to do amazing things if we open up our heart to, to him. And uh, I encourage you that you will do that. Once again, welcome to all of our friends, um, family members, uh, people that are supporting those who will be baptized uh, very shortly. In fact, in, in probably about half an hour or so, I'll be calling on those people to be baptized. We've got the baptism pool like right there. It's all set to go. There's warm water in there, Stu. Right? We're kind people. We make it warm for them, make it nice and comfortable. Um, I remember when years ago, before we had this facility and a wonderful pool like this, we were down in, uh, at the Patoni Foreshore, and uh, that was in... Uh, towards the end of winter, and it was a cold and miserable day, and then, uh, oh gosh, and I remember it, and we went in there and did our baptizing, and when we came out, we, we had missed a sign that there had been some issues with some, uh, some uh, sewerage issues, sort of like, oh no, let's not go there, let's not go there. Let me tell you, I, t I tell you, that water is pristine clean, and uh, <laughs> praise God. Anyway, it's good to be together. Um, I'm just going to bring a short message this morning, and uh, let me tell you, this is difficult for me to do. A short message is always difficult for me to do. You know, just remember when the preacher gets up and says, I'm going to say a few words, never believe it, never believe it, uh, because there will always be a few more words. But we will try to keep to our timetable here this morning. And let me say that I've got some very, very important things to share. Uh, God wants to speak to us through the teaching and the preaching of the word. And so that said, uh, we've got an outline for you, uh, and the ushers are coming, and if you haven't got one of those printed outlines in your hand, then raise up your hand, and uh, one of our wonderful welcoming team are going to get you one. Uh, very shortly, I'm going to pray, and uh, trust God that uh, somewhere... Uh, there is a message in there for everybody that's here this morning. We'll be speaking about different things, but somehow God's got the ability to make things very applicable to our own personal lives. Um, we are currently working our way through a series of messages entitled, How to Master Your Mind and Rule Your Own Life. And I'm going to just bring, as I said, a brief message around all of that, and then we'll flow on and just have some brief discussion around uh, what water baptism all means, and then I'll be inviting those to be baptized, to come forward. We're going to proceed with that, and uh, sort of close to, to midday, we're going to uh, finish, and then we're going to go out there and enjoy a wonderful lunch together. So uh, once again, everybody's got an outline. Let's pray, and let's believe God that he will speak to us this morning. Father, we thank you once again that you're in this place, that Lord, that you're present by your Spirit. And as, if, if we, have, as we have worshipped you already, and Lord, as we've already lifted up the name of Jesus Christ in our midst. Lord, you're here to touch people's lives. You're here to reveal your goodness and your mercy towards us. And we thank you, Lord God, that you're a good God. Lord, that you're for us and not against us. And you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross to take the punishment for our sins so we could be forgiven and be able to ultimately uh, be able to go to heaven. So I thank you, Father, for every man, every woman, every child in the house today. Lord, open the eyes of our understanding and show us things and speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, how to master your mind and rule your own life. And I guess the purpose of this uh, theme and this title and this concept is that sometimes people are out of control. And God does not want us to be out of control. He wants us to be in control. And when we're talking about mastering our own mind and ruling our own life, by that we mean that we rule our own life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said one day, he says, if you give your life away, he says, you will gain it. But if you hold on to your life, you will lose it. And very shortly, we'll be baptizing a number of people who are now publicly declaring the Lordship of Jesus Christ over their life. They've given their life to Jesus. And Jesus said, if you do that, he says, you will gain your life. And then you're truly in charge of your own life. And God will lead you step by step. I'm going to just briefly recap. Uh, on where we've been last week, uh, and then we'll cover some new ground. But once again, our key scripture here is in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that verse of Scripture tells us a number of things. Not least of all, it speaks about the second coming of Jesus Christ. How many of you know that Jesus Christ is going to return one day soon? He was here 2,000 years ago. He came as the Savior, but the second time He will come, He will come as the judge. But now we are in this period of God's grace, where if we surrender our life to Jesus Christ now, then there will be no more judgment for us later on. Judgment is coming. Uh, all right, the Bible is very clear about that. But once you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, then God will deem that, that the judgment that was due to you and me because of our wrongdoings has already been laid on Jesus Christ when he died on the cross for us. And everybody that receives Jesus Christ is secured a place in heaven. Everybody that rejects Jesus Christ, it's not so good. In fact, it's absolutely terrible. And, uh, you know, friends, the reality is that heaven and hell are real places. They're not just a state of mind. Uh, they're real places, and God wants you to go to heaven. This is the reality of it. So, let me quickly summarize, uh, as I said, on what we've talked about so far. We said that God's made each of us a three-part being. Uh, we are a spirit. We have a soul. We live inside of a body. Our spirit and our soul is the eternal part of us. And our body is the earthly, temporary part of us. Uh, it's like Paul the Apostle spoke about this tent that we live in. A tent is a temporary housing, all right? Uh, but our spirit and our soul uh, will exist forever, uh, all right? And we said that our soul actually consists of our mind, our will, and our emotions. And I made several points that I want to quickly run through it again. I said that our mind is the pivotal part of us. Wherever our mind goes is where our life eventually will go. So that's why what we think about and what we meditate on and the thoughts that we allow to flow through our mind are very, very, very important. Secondly, we said that ruling and reigning in our life begins by ruling and reigning in our thought life. You know, uh, you know the uh, people that study the brain, they say that there is a flurry of words and pictures going on every second of every day. There's just a lot going on in our mind. And the reality is you and I can control what goes on in our mind, and we need to control it. Otherwise, if we cannot control what goes on in our mind, we cannot control our lives. Number three, we said that renewing our mind 
Which is what the Bible speaks about, the process of renewing our mind. It involves replacing our thoughts with God's thoughts. And you know, God has been good enough to uh, speak His thoughts into the earth, and He got it recorded for us, and today we call it the Bible. And the Bible are God's thoughts that we can take and begin to learn how God thinks, and begin to learn how to think like He does. At one point, God says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your thoughts. But we can raise our thoughts and our ways to his level. And then we say, number four, we said the Holy Spirit helps us moment by moment to monitor our thoughts and to align them with God's thoughts. And aren't you glad about that, that we've got somebody helping us? Jesus literally said, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will be your helper, capital H, helper. And the Holy Spirit helps us in all issues of life, but specifically helps us in the area of monitoring our thought life. So, um, this morning I would like to continue on from there and talk to you about living life without worry and anxiety. Living life without worry and anxiety. Now the question is, where does worry and anxiety take place? Or where where is its entry point? It's right here in in our head. All right, so when we're talking about mastering our mind, uh, this is a real big issue. So I'd like to read to you the words of Jesus from Luke chapter 12, verse 29. Now I'm reading here from a, uh, what we call a modern translation, uh, the New Living Translation. Jesus says, and don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These thoughts dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. Now, Jesus preached a very famous sermon one day. Bible scholars call it the Sermon on the Mount. And this is part of that sermon. It's not everything he said. It's like there's a couple of several pages uh, in, in the gospel uh, that, read, that that sermon is recorded for us. And Jesus here specifically addresses what goes on, generally speaking, in the minds of believers and in the minds of non-believers or unbelievers. He contrasts between the minds of those who believe in Jesus Christ and those who do not believe. He said the thoughts of the unbelievers are dominated by what to eat and what to drink. And back in verse 22, he talked about a third thing, it's what to wear. It's what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? Where am I going to live? Uh, what, how am I going to get around? Uh, and, and The unbelievers' thoughts, Jesus tells us, is dominated by these thoughts, and they just go around and around. People go to work, they go home, they eat, they drink, then they sleep, then they go to work, and everything else, and that's sort of generally the cycle. Uh, However, he says the thoughts of the believers should be dominated by seeking the kingdom of God and how to live a life that pleases God. In fact, in one translation, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Um, And in fact, again here in Luke chapter 12, verse 29, this is in the, um, uh, the New King James Version. He says, and do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. Nor have an anxious mind. There's a lot of anxious minds around today, friend. There's a lot of people who are constantly anxious, constantly worrying, 
And in today's age, and actually years ago and decades, millennia ago, it wasn't all that much different. Uh, for many people, it's the constant struggle of survival to keep themselves afloat, to keep themselves ahead of famine and of hunger and of thirst and, of, and what have you. It dominates people's minds. Uh, and, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, I think uh, in terms of food supply, experts tell us that we've only got a six-week food supply on the earth today. If there were a mega famine somewhere, not just in a country, but in a whole continent, we would have some serious problems going on. But let me tell you this, it's never been as good as what it is right now. And it seems to me that people are popping more pills and are trying more uh, substances in order to quieten down their mind and for, to keep anxiety at bay. And so as soon as people bounce out of that influence, anxiety is back and worry is back again. All right, so it almost seems unreasonable for Jesus to tell us to not have an anxious mind because the reality is that most people worry and stress over the very things that we shouldn't worry and stress about according to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, this is the same sermon. It's recorded in one of the other Gospels. Uh, uh, we've read out of the Gospel of Luke. We're now reading out of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. <laughs> you know, we, we know that, you know, people that work in, in the area of electricity, like electricians, electrical engineers, different people that manufacture electrical goods uh, and so forth, or that wire up houses or buildings, there's electrical wires of certain strengths and certain capacities. And they measure some of that uh, in various measurements and all of that, or a lot of that is beyond me. But I've laid a few electrical wires and I've done a little bit of dabbling in that world just to get me by and to extend out of life from over here to over there. But the point is this, friends. Uh, that in terms of our, of our circuitry, the way that God has made us, God, God has made us to deal with the issues of one day and one day only. If we pick up the issues from yesteryears, and many people do, many people live in the past all the time, and they're very worried about today, with today's issues, and they're already worrying about tomorrow and worrying about next week and next year. And if all of that goes on, there's too much current running through the circuitry and it'll cause your mind to spin out. Jesus says, don't do that. He says, sufficient is the trouble of the one day. Now, let me tell you this. Jesus is not in any way suggesting that we ought not to plan or prepare for tomorrow. Absolutely, he wants us to plan and to prepare for tomorrow. But he says, do not worry about tomorrow. He's not trying to get us to live like from the hand to the mouth. Um, but even in the Lord's Prayer, he says, you know, say, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, you will be done. And then he says, give us today our daily bread. But it's not suggesting that it's always only 
you know, from the hand to the mouth. He definitely wants us to prepare and to plan ahead in life. You see, even somebody that goes to university, they're planning years ahead of themselves because they got, what, one, two, three, five, six years of study ahead of themselves. Uh, I've just met somebody in one of my recent trips that's uh, probably studied for about 12 years. He started one thing, he didn't like it. He started another, he didn't like that. So he had a couple of degrees already and he swung into a third one. And so clearly this man is thinking ahead. How many of you know what, what we're talking about? So he's thinking ahead, uh, and uh, it just you know it's, it's like uh, it's like a, a couple of try this, oh that's not working. Let's try that. Uh, but anyway, the whole point is this: that Jesus definitely wants us to think about tomorrow. Definitely wants us to prepare for tomorrow, for next week, next month, next year, and actually the next season in life. Have you know that we are moving through seasons in life, um, and. Uh, but actually, what he's trying to teach us here is teaching us about priorities. Everybody say priorities. priorities. You know, our priorities. Uh, in fact, I find that life's priorities and juggling that is probably one of the more challenging things because everything tries to press in and pretend that it is the most important thing to do like right now. But there are priorities. And uh, Jesus is talking to us. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, <laughs> he says, seek first. The kingdom of God. First, the kingdom of God. Not second, not third, not last. He says first. Seek first the kingdom of God. So that's, how do you know that that's priority? Um, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness. He says, live righteously. So living righteously means that we live with honesty. We live with integrity. We live with kindness. We are, we are kind to people, or at least we try to. We, we, we get it right many times, and sometimes we get it wrong, but we make an effort, and then we own up if we don't get it right. You know, the Bible calls it repent and, 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 and ask for forgiveness if we get it wrong. You know, I found myself a couple of times this week to say sorry to my wife because I got it wrong. And, and when we get it wrong, it's good to own up. Uh, and so live righteously. And he says, and God will give you everything that you need. So the amazing thing, what Jesus is really telling us here, and that's in point number four, and it's in your outline. He says, if you do what's right today, God will give you everything that you need tomorrow. Focus on today and live a good day. Um, love God, honor God, love people. You know, the two commandments, people talk about the Ten Commandments, and they're there, and, you know, that's all in the Old Testament, and they're, they're, they're important. But actually, Jesus says, you can summarize the Ten Commandments and every other commandment that's been given by God, uh, and there are 613 of them, they tell us. Uh, <laughs> I just take their word for it. I've never counted. 613 commands in the Old Testament. He says, all of those commands can be summed up in two commands, and, and we can all remember two commands. Sometimes I struggle to remember the Ten Commandments because there are ten and I could miss one or two, but I can remember two. That's, you know, that my mind can handle that. Number one, love God, and number two, love people. We talk about the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have, as you would have them do to you. And love God. Um, so he says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Sufficient trouble is enough for today. So if people worry about tomorrow, by the time they get to tomorrow, they'll worry about the day after tomorrow because that's the nature of each day. It brings its own trouble. And so, friend, uh, do not put too much current through your circuitry of uh, struggling with issues that have taken place 10, 15, 25 years ago 
and struggling with issues today and then struggling with the future. It is too much. Jesus says, lay down your burdens. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. He says, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I remember before I surrendered my life to Jesus, I used to worry quite a bit. And you know, we learn worry, but we don't learn it consciously. We learn it subconsciously. Chances are if your parents were warriors, chances are you are a warrior too. My grandmother was a warrior because a couple of times I remember, and I was only a little guy, not as big as strong as what I am today. I was only a little guy. And, and uh, <coughs> my mother was out, and that was before the days we, where we had a car as a family, and she would walk, and town was probably about a one and a half couple of miles away, no street lighting. And, you know, it's after dark, and my mother is not home, and now my grandmother is pacing around, and she's getting all worked up. And so she grabs her torch, and she goes out, and, you know, along the way, between our house and town, there were a couple of ponds. So my grandmother is out there shining the light into the ponds to see if she, she will find her daughter in there. It's like already expecting the worst. And, and, and people who are, who are warriors, they're, they're very good at that. They don't expect the best. They always expect the worst. And so it's easy to learn worry if you grow up in that environment. But Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Heavy laden with worries, heavy laden with anxieties, heavy laden with bad memories, heavy laden with guilt, and heavy laden with everything that people carry around. And he says, I will give you rest. And as I say, sometimes nowadays, it's almost like uh, when sometimes stuff goes down and, and I sometimes catch myself almost something, I, I should be worrying, but I'm just, I'm just... It's just, I've unlearned how to worry. I've, Jesus just lifted everything off. And, and, and that's how God wants us to live. And I'm not in any way suggesting that I'm, I'm in any way better than anybody else. But let me tell you, living a life free of worry is much better than it is to live a life of worry. True joy and happiness is then a byproduct. When you know that God's got everything in hand, um, and uh, that if you live right, and if you do what God leads you to do today, tomorrow is going to be all right. The next day is going to be all right. The day beyond that is going to be all right. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your worries upon him because he cares for you. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. What does it look like to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God? Well, he tells us in the very next sentence, he says, cast your cares on the Lord. Don't carry them. Cast them on the Lord. And I find myself uh, frequently, it's just some, some of that, uh, after a while it becomes like second nature. No, 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 no. I give that worry to the Lord. No, 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 no. I cast that on the Lord. No, no, no. Because you see, worry tries to crowd in on our, in our, on our um, mind and anxiety on our heart. Um, their thoughts, their feelings, sensations. I remember a number of years ago, I was on a international flight and I was sitting near the front of the plane on the window 
And, uh, you know, years ago, height used to be a bit of a thing. Like, you know, I was okay up to a certain height, and next minute I get above that, a step, another step up the rung, uh, another rung up the ladder, and I'm kind of freaking out. And so I'm sitting here, and I'm looking down. There's nothing under me but air and lots of it. And fear started to grip my heart. And, uh, and I was like, gosh, I was just getting all uneasy, and like all of these thoughts crowding in and all of that anxiety trying to cr grip my heart. And uh, it's like... Uh, <laughs> you know, fear doesn't respond to logic per se, because the reality is there are people that will not get on planes, full stop. I know I've had a cousin, he had a wonderful career as a, as a, as a, in, in the area of law, and then later on as a, as a judge, um, and he had international opportunities, but, uh, but he just wasn't going to get on a plane, full stop, I will not get on a plane. Actually, the reality is that air travel is one of the most secure form of, of travel there is, much safer than traveling by car. So this guy would easily get into a car, but he wouldn't get on a plane. Vanessa and I had a, some folk around at our house a number of years ago, and this guy um, is from another country. For him, flying is just a necessity, but he will absolutely get himself wasted on alcohol uh, before he gets on the plane. That's the only way he's able to cope with it. Um, and we had another, another lady that we got to know, and she was so wiped out, and she was popping pills. She was so wiped out uh, by the time she got on the plane, and they had a four-hour delay. She had absolutely no idea what was going on because she was completely out of it. All right? So sometimes people, as a, these are some of the extreme cases, but sometimes people just deal with nagging things all day, every day. And I started this story, and I should probably finish it. Uh, I decided that I'm on this plane here, and you know, for, me, for me to fulfill the calling that God's placed on my life, it'll just involve a little bit of flying here and there. And so I thought, I might as well deal with it now. And I just started to push back. And I said, no, I cast my care upon the Lord. I've prayed before I left, and I'm planning to land, and it'll all be safe, and everything is going to be all right. And just started to push back on some of that. Friends, you know what? Worry and anxiety will respond if you push back on it. Don't just let it sit there. Don't just entertain the thoughts. Take charge in your mind and push back on some of these things. So it says, cast your care upon the Lord because he cares for you. See, God deeply cares for people. God is a God of love. God is a God of the second chance. God, is, God deeply cares for people. And he wants to use his mighty hand to provide for you, to protect you, and to lift you up. God wants to lift you up emotionally. God wants to lift you up economically. God wants to lift you up socially. And God wants to lift you up in every way that you need lifting up. In fact, in the, in the book of Psalms, it speaks about God. It says, He's the glory and He's the lifter of our head. God lifts you. And when somebody's despondent, their heads are down. God is like right there, and he wants to lift up people's heads. And uh, the most, the only way to do that in a permanent way is to surrender our life to Jesus Christ. And once we're born again, Jesus Christ is the Lord of our life. When we approach God, there's no more groveling. There's no more guilt. There's no more begging. There's no more pleading, as it were, because the Bible says we can come boldly before God's throne of grace to obtain mercy and to find grace to help in time of need. I don't know about you, but I need grace today. I need grace tomorrow. 
I need grace for the following day. I need God's help every moment of every day. And once Jesus is the Lord of our life, he helps us to live righteously. And then worry should be in the past. We should no longer entertain worry. The most amazing way that God has demonstrated his awesome care for us is by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross, God's only son, to take the punishment that was due to us, it was all laid on Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ became, as it were, our scapegoat, that all the guilt, all the judgment was laid on him. So that you and I, God saw you, God knew you were coming, and we're now towards the end of days, as we know it, towards the end of, of natural human history, as we know it. Jesus Christ is returning very soon. And he saw you, he saw me. And God knew that we would be doing things wrong. And God knew that being a righteous judge, but the judgment has to happen. But God bundled up all the judgment and laid it on Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus suffered and he died. Uh, he went to hell on your behalf and on my behalf. The Bible says he was there for three days and for three nights until divine justice was satisfied and then he rose again on the third day. He appeared to a number of, the, of his disciples over a period of 40 days and then he went to heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father right now. The Bible calls him Lord of Lords. It calls him King of Kings. That, uh, you know, above him there is none other. It's the, the King Jesus. And you and I need to recognize him as that. We need to receive him as our personal Lord and Savior. Very quickly now, uh, John 3.16 and verse 17, probably the most famous passage in the whole Bible. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. So we said he came 2,000 years ago. He came as our Savior. Um, and it says that the world through him might be saved. Saved from what? Well, saved from having to bear the punishment for our own sins and our wrongdoings and our mistakes. Saved from spending eternity in hell, which is a real place. And so, friends, what I'm telling you today is really good news. But we've got to avail ourselves of that. Uh, salvation is not automatic. Here in John chapter 10, verse, uh, uh, chapter 1, rather, verse 10, it says, Jesus came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And very shortly, we are baptizing a number of people who have done exactly that. They have received Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Friends, the reality is Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. But it is not until we receive him as our personal Lord and Savior will salvation be realized and will salvation be fully established in our lives. Uh, just a couple of more verses of Scripture just to explain what really we are doing here this morning. Uh, 
terms of baptizing people and thereafter I'll call on the first group to come uh, and to join us and our worship team will come very shortly. Uh, we've got children coming to join us as well because this is a public celebration. See, water baptism is an opportunity for believers to publicly declare their faith in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. It's a public declaration. Jesus says, if you declare me before men, Publicly and openly, he says, I will publicly and declare you openly to my Father. But he says, if you deny me before man, I will deny you before my Father. So there's no such thing as a secret agent in the kingdom of God. And sadly, we have places around the world where, you know, we, we talk about the underground church where people have to be very, very circumspect and, and careful about who they share their faith with. But amongst each other, they certainly know who they are. But in Western society, you know, we haven't got any such issues yet. And we're praying that it'll continue to, to, to be good. Uh, we can publicly declare, we can publicly meet together for fear of reprisal from the authorities or from who knows what. So here we are. We're baptizing a number of people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, uh, and they are now saved from eternal judgment and from separation from God. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. A couple of verses later, he says, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Of God. We speak about a new birth when somebody is converted. That is the new birth when people surrender their life to Jesus Christ. They are born again. And the whole point of this teaching that we're doing right now in our mind and our spirit, soul, and body is people are born again in their spirit. It is a birth that comes from God. One day, Peter, the apostle, was out preaching to the people about Jesus Christ, whom they had crucified. And he talked to them about that sacrificial death that Jesus died on the cross. And there were many, many religious people amongst them. Some even wore special religious clothing, special religious emblems. Some of them even had scripture, for goodness sake, scripture passages inside little boxes attached to their head. Uh, talk about religion gone berserk. And Peter's preaching the gospel to them. And he tells them that none of them are going to get to heaven on their own merits, and none of them are going to make it on their own goodness. We can ultimately only get to heaven on God's goodness and by His grace. And here in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, So let everyone know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Messiah means Savior. And Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And friends, those instructions that, Jesus, uh, that Peter gave to those people even 2,000 years ago are not just applicable to them, but they're still as valid and as applicable to us today. The message is, repent of your sins, turn to God, and surrender your life to Jesus, and then be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Because the reality is that nobody can get saved on their own merits. People say, well, I've 
you know, never done anything seriously wrong, haven't murdered anybody, haven't robbed any banks, haven't really done anything wrong. Friends, none of that is good enough. Uh, here in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, second to last scripture, he says, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. And finally, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, God saved you by his special favor when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift of God. Salvation is a gift. It's not earned. Jesus paid for it.